And so thankful that you guys are here. And again, uh, we hope this is a great experience. We think that the way in which this is going to be an incredible experience for you is to be totally invested in regards to not only being here every week, we know things can happen. Sometimes people are out of town. Actually, we have a couple that's not even here today because of work schedule. We get it. Life happens. But we really want to encourage you to try to be here as much as you can and also do the homework. We know it's like, oh, homework, what? I didn't realize there was homework. Is it too late to get out of this class? Uh, but the homework is really going to be great because it's going to allow you to ask questions of each other to really get to know each other well. Because that's one of the goals I think of Merge is to help you understand what relationships are all about as designed by God, but also get to know each other really, really well before you have that moment where you say, I do. And so really like each week, it's not a whole lot, but go through the homework, do the questions, because if you do that, guys, I promise you, you won't regret it. And it really helps strengthen your relationship and really help you get ready for this thing called marriage. All right? Awesome. You guys with me? Sweet. Maybe some of you like went through some of the questions up front, like what was the best date? What was the worst date? I can easily remember what the worst date for Steph and I. So we met down in Naples, Florida, which is a great place to meet back in, gosh, we met 2000. Baby still in here? <laughs> she left the building. But... One of the worst dates we had is we went to a local county fair outside of Naples and a little place called Immokalee, and they had one of those movable kind of move in and set up fair, all right? Uh, we get there, and we're having a good time, and we're eating some, you know, fair food and what have you, and I see in the distance what looks like some kind of Ferris wheel, but it's kind of like one of those, like, weird ferris wheels and like it's like a tripod that kind of spins over each other and i'm trying to think we just had some food so i want to do something that's not like crazy i don't want to get on like whirl and hurl kind of ride and so i'm thinking this ferris wheel looking thing looks tame enough for us to be able to handle huge mistake we get on this ride together okay and it starts going and this thing is like spinning over top of each other and when I saw from the distance, it had just been slowing down to let people off. Didn't see the beginning of the ride that really goes a whole lot faster than we wanted it to. And as you can imagine, it's like subtropics down there in Naples. And it was probably 85, 86 degrees that day, super humid. And again, we had just eaten some fair food. Not the best combination that didn't get on a spinny thing. So we get on there, and my poor bride, I can just tell, you can just, you just know it when someone's going to get sick. And she's just like, I don't feel good. I think I'm going to throw up. I'm like, oh, no. And so as we're coming down, I'm trying to yell at the operator, like, please, can you stop the ride? Like, my, my girlfriend's getting sick, and he would not stop it, and he just kept going. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I got a man up here. What do I do? What do I do for her? Had a hat on. I was like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep and Steph got sick on that ride and uh, as the thing finally came to a stop the guy's like why didn't you tell me I'm like we did <laughs> and so here's this moment where I'm like I felt so bad for Steph and she's sick and she's covered in sickness and and then we're like okay I'm getting sick because I'm smelling the sickness you know how that goes and so we go out to my truck and um, I had like I was a valet at the time down there in Naples, like you're either one or two things down in Naples. You're either like someone who's a millionaire or you're in the service industry, all right? So I was in the service industry and so I had some of my work clothes 
tucked in the back of my truck. And so I let Steph like climb into my truck, guarded the truck while she changed inside and then drove back to her house. And we both like, like I slept like in the living room, you slept in your bedroom because we were just so sick, we were exhausted. And we like crashed for like three hours. And Steph was worried when she got up, she's like, if he's still in the living room, this relationship might have a chance. I was still there and we made it through. That was probably one of our worst dates. <laughs> it did get a whole lot better from there. But some of you are like, oh yeah, I can remember what that worst date was or that best date was. Um, we're here today to help you not just date well, but also get ready for something a whole lot more significant than dating when it comes to marriage. Uh, I want to pray and we're going to jump into something. We're not quite getting into our booklet, you know, with all the topics that's going to happen next week, but we're hopefully going to lay some foundational, a foundational principle for all of us here um, as we launch this second edition of Merge. So let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Again, I'm so grateful for each couple. Um, thank you for a class that we get to have together where we get to investigate these biblical principles um, on these incredible topics that cover a, a range of things that are vital to any healthy, stable relationship. And together as we journey, um, I, I pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts and minds to meet with you, that, uh, God, you would so like invade this place by your Holy Spirit and we ask you not to take our side, but we ask you to take over because you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so would you just be exalted in this place and all these weeks following that we might have this captured view of Jesus through the scripture and the Holy Spirit and through community together that would so enrich our lives and strengthen our relationships and to get a biblical view of marriage that is so astounding and so awesome that we continue to be able to move from here and treat marriage in an awesome way. So thank you for each couple. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to start off something. How many of you have played Jenga? You done Jenga? Oh, yeah. All right, so I didn't set this up. I had it in my car. I'm just using it as illustrative purposes. But obviously, if this was built up on the stage here um, and we're doing Jenga together, um, things that are critical to winning Jenga is you're finding out bricks that are loose and then placing them on the top. But the whole point, what I want to start off with is understanding what would be foundational keys to marriage. This thing was built up right here before you. Obviously, the ones under the very bottom are foundational bricks. Okay, and we want to look at stuff today that's foundational for really any relationship or marriage. And so just by way of open discussion, not a rhetorical question, we'd love to get some insight from you guys. What would you say would be, constitute a foundational brick for marriage? Okay, and don't be scared to like give an answer. If you give the wrong answer, um, we're gonna kick you out of here. I'm just kidding. This is a safe place to share. It's all good. But what would you say is a foundational brick, foundational stone, okay, or plank for marriage? What would you say? Being truthful. Being truthful. Come on, the truth. We gotta have the truth here. 
having that community, going to church together, it can be very substantial, very important to a relationship. Absolutely. Somebody else? Communication. Christ, communication, right? <laughs> and Christ communicating through his word. <laughs> Boom. Absolutely. I agree with both of them 100%. Somebody else? Faith. Yep, faith in Christ. Love. Okay. Absolutely. Respect. Respect. Got to have a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Come on. Somebody else. Sacrifice. As I heard one guy say, marriage is not about mutual benefit. It's about mutual sacrifice. And I think there's a lot of truth in that phrase. Somebody else. Selflessness. Selflessness. Come on. Quinn. Huge. <laughs> Honesty. Yes, absolutely. Somebody. Patience. Oh, you're going to learn. If you don't have patience, you will. <laughs> and if you haven't later on, you probably won't be in a relationship. <laughs> patience. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else. Grace-filled? Graceful. Graceful. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Graceful. And being gracious with each other. Totally. Anyone else? That's really good stuff. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Service. Being a servant of one another. Find the time. time. Yep. Yeah, I think really a lot of great stuff mentioned. I think there's, you know, when you think about that structure, okay, you can take some of those bricks off and put on the top. And what's great is like it still stands, right? So there's some things you can take out of your relationship. Maybe there's a difference in opinion when it comes to like what's the best chicken sandwich, Is it Popeye's or is it Chick-fil-A? Well, we all know it's Chick-fil-A. I'm just kidding. You can have a difference in that area of your relationship, but it's not foundational. Your your relationship can still stand. It still can be built upon something that's solid and upholds it. That is not something that's foundational. Maybe one day where you're going to choose to live, okay? Whether it be in the Southwest Metro or Southeast Metro or whatever, okay? That's important to your relationship. But it's not, I would say, foundational. Meaning you can, you can have a difference in opinion where you might live, um, but that is not going to be the thing that upholds your relationship. You can differ on that and still be together. I want to look at one thing today that is absolutely foundational, and that is the gospel. Christ, as he communicates in his word, this incredible love story of how God pursued us all the way to a cross. Um, Many of you know that I was a junior high pastor, and I think as a junior high pastor, kind of grew up with like using props. (laughs) So forgive me for the props, you know, but I think we live in such a visual world that a lot of times it's easy to relate with a story if you can be captured by a visual representation of what it's all about. And so that's the reason for the jars here. So I just want to unpack this, guys, for you. It won't take long, and then we're going to have some questions for your small group time, and I hope that's going to be awesome as well. But I have these two jars because in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth, and wouldn't you agree that our world today kind of needs a, a Copernican revolution of the soul? We need a Copernican revolution of the soul, meaning our lives are meant to revolve around Jesus, not the other way around. 
It's so easy to be born in this world and think like the seagulls and Nemo. My, 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 mine. We think the world's about us. We have four kids in our, our house right now, and Steph can attest to this, who think the world revolves around them. And I'm like, you need to understand something. In the beginning, God, your life is meant to revolve around Jesus. Until you understand that foundational point, life is going to be miserable and hard. Would you agree? Man, we got to have that in the beginning. Maybe the four most important words in the Bible. And God created a lot. Stars, animals, sea creatures. But the height of his creation was Adam and Eve. And the only way Adam and Eve are going to be able to function correctly is in relationship to God. To be out of relationship with God would be dysfunctional, right? Colossians 1, 16 and 17. This is really good. All things have been created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. Created. For God. You think about that. There in Genesis 2, God takes this mud man, right, built of the dirt, and he breathes what's called the ruach of life. And it says Adam became a living being. And the first face that Adam saw was God's. There he is, face to face with his creator. And as Adam walked and talked with God in the cool of the day, as it says in scripture, he cultivated a relationship with God. And therefore, in cultivating his word, Adam had a sense of identity and purpose and strength. Adam learned very quickly he had a, he had a work to do. God had, God had something specifically designed for Adam in that garden. Cultivate and keep it, Adam, right? So he starts naming the animals. I can just imagine there for a second, Adam starts off and he's got this task of naming the animals. And it maybe starts off and gets real deep and philosophical and it's like, oh, this one's gonna be an anteater. And this one's gonna be a wildebeest. And this one's gonna be a hippopotamus. I can imagine as time progressed and he's getting tired of this, he's probably like, I don't know, cat, dog, bat, right? But what he realized in naming the animal kingdom is he didn't have a light counterpart. He sees male and female hippopotamus or whatever. Where's my counterpart? And Adam realized he was alone. Which, to be honest with you, it's not good for man to be alone in the garden. He's going to burn the place down, right? We've got to make him a helper suitable. God's like, we've got to get this man some help. Amen? Companionship. And we need that companionship because we're built in the image of God. And the way that we're building the image of God is we know God is in Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so God has been in community for eternity. When he created us in his image, guess what he did? And he built us for community. Companionship is something that Adam desired. And praise God, we have a good God who gives us great gifts. And probably one of the greatest gifts he's given us, no doubt is woman. Amen? You guys, amen? He puts Adam to sleep, takes out a rib bone. He crafts and builds this woman and brings him to Adam, right? And Adam's like, whoa, man, we got something awesome here. I think it's kind of funny. You think about this. First time Adam wakes up, he sees God. God puts him to sleep again. Second time he wakes up, naked, beautiful wife. I'd be like, God, put me to sleep again. What do we got next? Okay, I kind of like this game. Let's go. <laughs> but then we have this beautiful, sacred moment where God himself presides over the first wedding ceremony in human history. And he says these words, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, Genesis 2.24. Jesus would add to that New Testament and say, what God has brought together, let no man separate. God brought these two together in holy matrimony. And things are awesome. I got two people running around naked in a garden naming animals and stuff. I mean, it's amazing, at least in my Bible, for about a page. And something wrecked the system. Something really messed up God's good creation. We know what that thing was in the very beginning. There in the garden, there was a deceiver. There was a serpent. And to deceive these two people into rejecting God's word and rebelling against them, did God 
really say out of his word. He's actually just trying to hold you back from experiencing real freedom. You need to do your own truth. Live that out. You do you. Hear some of that phraseology in our culture today? It's just a whisper from the beginning. Well, we know what happened with regards to this couple. They were tempted to take that lie. Wouldn't we all? You get to decide what's good and evil. You get to decide what's right or wrong. You get to build your own identity, but you got to do it without God. What a terrible, horrible lie. Well, they took the bait, sealing our fate, and the moment they rebelled against God, everything changed. Think about how it changed the relationships, because I want you to understand this gospel is all about relationships. Something drastically changed. God comes to Adam, because they're hiding now. He's like, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to? And then starts what's called the blame game, right? Well, the woman you gave me, God, you know, she's the issue. I'm not the problem. She's the problem. And ultimately, you're the problem because you, you gave her to me. And then Eve's like, yeah, yeah, the serpent deceived me. And the serpent's like, okay, you got me, right? The blame game. Have you ever been there? This happens in our household every single day with our kids. Why did you say, well, it's your fault. She's the one who yelled at me and da, 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 da. Blame game over and over and over. It's as old as the garden, right? But you think about it as a result of the fall, this couple turned on God and they turned on each other. It's almost like the internal hard drive got wiped and uploaded was sin. And now pride and selfishness would characterize the human race. Sin almost like poisoned the well, if you want to look at that, that way. It, it literally stained and blackened our hearts. And so I wanted to demonstrate that. Uh, yeah. Stained and blackened our hearts, bringing about defilement and death. I think, honestly, we have a tendency to think that evil is somewhere out there in this world. And it's why a lot of times we try to protect ourselves from the bad guys who are out there by putting security in our home and security on our devices and nothing wrong with those things. All good things. We have, we have a tendency to think the bad's out there, the evil's out there, we want to keep it all out there. And then Jesus comes and wrecks with our supposed good guy reputation. Does he not? And he points the finger right at us. And he says this in Matthew 15, 18 to 20. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and slandering. These are the things which defile there's that word. Defile the man. Houston, we have a problem. The problem is me. When I look in the mirror of God's word, I see all the junk and filth that's in my heart that defiles me, that defiles us if we're honest with ourselves. There's no doubt I'm a black-hearted, stone-cold sinner, <laughs> and that puts me in opposition with God and others. Would you agree with that? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would agree. It's why Adam and Eve kind of did the duck and cover thing. They knew they were defiled. They knew that they had messed up. They knew that something was horribly wrong. And so they went and duck and covered in the woods to put on pretty fat sin to present themselves before God, which I think is super important, guys, when you think about this, and it's this. We have two coverings in life, right? Two coverings. The first covering, the first covering is we try to hide from God's eyes, right? We try to hide from God's eyes. Wes and our three-year-old, whenever he messes up in the house, Steph's going to test it. It's super funny. Three years old, he knows he's a sinner, and I'll tell you how he knows he's a sinner. When he does something wrong, he grabs his blankie, and we catch him in whatever he's done wrong. He grabs his blankie, and he's like, you can't see me. Can't see me. I'm like, yes, we can. <laughs> he thinks because his eyes are closed that we can't see him. Do we not do that all the time? Yeah, absolutely. We try to hide from God, hide our sin. The second covering that we do is we also try to hide from each other's eyes, right? Think about it this way. We try to hide from God's eyes, and we call it religion. Look at the good I've done, God, to cover up my bad. In relationships, when we hide from each other's eyes, it's called Instagram. <laughs> Let me manage everything that you're seeing. I'm going to control this whole situation so that you only see my highlights and none of my flaws, right? Social media has become our public relations department. Hiding from God's eyes, hiding from each other's eyes. So the question is, why do we do this? Why do we do this? 
We think about in the beginning, we had this all-encompassing, life-giving relationship with God, and it gave us strength and it gave us security, but then sin happened. And when God got removed from the equation, he got put out. Really, they put themselves out because God never moves. So the two people who moved were Adam and Eve, and they moved away from God. And when they did that, they lost that relationship with God and entered fear and insecurity and shame and everything else we know about a world that's gone horribly wrong. And that's why we got to try to cover ourselves up. I got to appear strong. I got to appear good. I got to appear right. That's why we put the coverings up. That's why we put on the pretty fig leaves, if you want to look at it that way. So that we can hide from God's eyes and we can hide from other people's eyes to manage and control what people see. Have you ever been there? (laughs) I know I've been there. I know I've been there. Think about it, you guys. So much of our fear and insecurity is based on how we see ourselves, right? A lot of it has to do with how we see ourselves. And that's why the gospel is so critical and we want to get into that. Because here's what's going to happen, right? Fear and insecurity will absolutely wreck you until you learn to see your life through a different lens. Absolutely wreck your relationship until you see your life and that relationship through a different lens. And I had to learn this from an early age. I remember when I was in junior high. Again, I say, I say junior high because that's what I started doing here at Grace so many years ago. But when I was in junior high, I remember I was trying to do little pygmy imitations, right? I was a pygmy trying to do a Goliath imitation. That's what I meant, right? I was a little guy, insecure, had zits, and I was just insecure about who I was. And so I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to pretend like I was bigger. And I was good. I wanted people to think that I was whatever. And so I'd do these Goliath imitations, even though I knew I was, I was a little pygmy, right? I can remember literally in eighth grade, a girl broke up with me. And the reason she broke up with me is because of insecure, insecurity. She said, I can't eat you anymore because you're just too totally insecure. I'm like, great, how's it help me? Oh, if I was insecure to start off with, no, I'm really insecure. Thanks a whole lot, man. That didn't help me one bit whatsoever, right? And so we do this. We oftentimes do this. And the reason we do it is because we're fearful, insecure people. The sin also brought about death, Right? It didn't just dirty the well, right? It also brought about death. And I'm just talking like a little bit dead or to use the princess bride, mostly dead. I'm talking about all the way dead, 100% dead, not theoretically dead, but dead spiritually because when we took that fruit, God said what? The day you do it, you will surely die. They did and they died, not physically, but spiritually. And they would eventually hit the grave. Sin brought about death. And when you're separated from the God of life, that means death. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your sins and transgressions. Death has come to all humanity because we decided to do life for ourselves. You guys, listen, we're not bad people who need to be made better. We're dead people who need to be made alive, right? We're not mistakers in need of a life coach. We're sinners in need of a savior. And praise God, he provided one. He provided his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what's so amazing is he's the champion of heaven who came after us. And what I mean is he came after us, you gotta understand, sin separated us from God, right? Isaiah 59, two, your sins have made a separation between you and God. And so there's this ginormous chasm, this huge gulf between us and God. So God sent his son, on an epic rescue mission. Matthew 121, and you shall call his name Jesus for he saved his people. He will save his people from their sins. Let me think about this for a second. It says in Ephesians 1, 4, we've been chosen in him before the foundation of this world. That means what? God has loved you from eternity. 
That means he was able to look down through the corridors of history, see all about your life, see all the dirt, all the death, all the darkness about who we are, all the warts and the wrinkles because of our sin. And he still loved us. He still chose to come for us. He still chose to die for us, knowing all those things about us from the beginning of time itself. That is amazing. That is incredible. That is so gracious of God to do that for us, that he still came for us. Would you do that for someone else, knowing that about him for such a long time? It's the love of God, right? The Bible's not about us finding God. It's about the billion steps Jesus took to come after us and to find us. And he loved us all the way to the bottom. But God demonstrates his love towards us, and while we were at sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Not on your best day, but on your worst day, Christ died for each one of you. Not only did he die for you, he died instead of you. If you want to know the gospel, Jesus in my place. Four words, Jesus in my place. Jesus lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you should have died to give you a life you didn't possess. And here's the transaction that took place at the cross. When you think about that, the incredible transaction of the cross was this. Jesus took a grenade for you and he absorbed, literally absorbed, all the wrath towards you because of your sin. Move this around to Jesus there. Absorbed all the wrath of God towards you because of your sin. And by his shed blood, there's a forgiveness of all your sins for all the cosmic treason we had committed against God. There is forgiveness, amen? For everything we had ever done or will do, Christ died for you. And the cool thing was, not only did he take all of our sin and die on the cross in our place and forgive us and cleanse us, but then he also gave us and filled us with his perfection and his righteousness and his goodness. It's an incredible transaction of the cross. He took all of our bad, we get all his good, he takes all of our sin and he pins us with a medal of righteousness. And this is huge because guys, if you think about it, if God is satisfied with the payment that Jesus made in his blood, that means he'll never be dissatisfied with you. Ever. Because the way God now sees you is completely, radically transformed. Remember, so much about our fear and insecurity and shame is how we see ourselves. Remember that? How does God see you now? Totally different. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. It's gone and buried with Jesus. What's been given is a new life found in him. And now that's how he sees you. That helps dissipate the fear and the insecurity and the shame because how God sees you can radically transform your life and radically transform your relationship, can radically transform your marriage. This is amazing, you guys, because Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, right? Three days later, according to scripture, he rose from the grave. He's alive today. And because the tomb is empty, anything is possible. Anything is possible for your life. It's possible to be forgiven. It's possible to be accepted into his family. It's possible to have new life 
that's found alone in Jesus Christ. Now think about this in the context of relationship that we've been talking about. Jesus moved heaven and earth to come after you. And he was even willing to be forsaken and rejected so you could be forgiven and accepted. If he had to go through hell itself, which he did in order to give you heaven. He went to the depths, he went to the bottom to take you from the bottom and raise you up and place you in Christ Jesus in heavenly places to be forever with him in a relationship that will never end in his forever family. So cool. The gospel is foundational for life and marriage because as mentioned by many of you before we started this presentation, you can't really have a healthy, stable, long-lasting relationship without love and forgiveness and grace. It is absolutely foundational to who you are and to your marriage. If you want a marriage to last, the gospel has got to be the plank, the base, the foundation. If you've received Jesus Christ, you have undergirded your life with something that will never fade on you because he's the rock of ages. You have something that is substantial that will uphold you all the rest of the days of your life and will also uphold and keep your future marriage. So foundational to have and understand and be a recipient of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. Because if you're a recipient of that, you're gonna be more apt to give love and grace and forgiveness to someone else because you understand all that God's bestowed on you in his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is critical to all that we do and all that we'll discuss. It undergirds everything that we'll be talking about over the next eight weeks. The gospel. Let me pray, and then we have some questions for you guys to go through. <clears throat> Lord, thank you again for the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, came for us, died for us, and rose again. Thank you, as Paul would say, as this being of the first importance, greatest importance in our lives, and no doubt, critically important to our relationships and marriage. Thank you for each couple. I hope that they would dig down deep and build their lives and their relationship upon this gospel message. For it will uphold them, it will keep them, it will remake them and shape them to be Christ-like. And that will be a strength of character and resolve and commitment that they're gonna need for their marriage until death do them part. To the glory of God and for our good, help us remember the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.